don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I don't know. Did anybody pass history when they took school? I didn't. <laughs> history was like my least favorite subject. And uh, I, I am not good with names. I'm not good with dates. I couldn't remember. I could figure things out pretty well, but I couldn't remember. And uh, now that I'm getting old and I have issues memorizing, memorizing speaking too, evidently, um, I'm reading through stuff, and it's like now I have this fascination with it as it pertains to the Bible and looking back at uh, thinking and looking into Philippi and where it is and how it relates with Paul and all of that. Uh, I did a little homework, so to me it's all new. It might be a refresher to some people. I don't know how well or familiar you are with, with things, but it does pertain to the study. So... Um, if you don't know where Philippi is, uh, right now it's in, it's in Greece. It's up a little bit north above the sea, not real close to Israel. Um, it was an important eastern Macedon city, and it flourished during the Hellenistic, Roman, and Byzantine periods. And it sits between two rivers, the Strymon and the Nestus, and it's known for gold mines. You think that would make it popular. Um, and little was known about it prior to 356 BC, and that was a big date in that city because Rome at that time, or I'm sorry, Greece, Alexander, had come through and uh, they were near, and it wasn't part of Greece at the time, but Alexander the Great's father took a liking to it because of the gold, and it was suitable for him, and his name was Philip. So the name, the city's actually named after Alexander the Great's dad. And at that time, it was still independent. And then another thing that puts it on the map, literally, is years later, after Rome came through, I don't know how to pronounce this, the Via Engadia Roman Road. It's a 250,000-mile road. Most of it's still there today. And it goes from Rome, and it comes down, and it crosses the Adriatic Sea. Then it crosses the continent and goes all the way to what used to be Constantinople. And it passes right through Philippi. So it was a direct route to and from Rome, so that kind of made it popular. And in 168 BC, um, as we all know, because you guys were smarter than me, Rome got conquered Macedonia at the Battle of Pydna. And then the, the most notable time, which you probably, I heard all these names, I'm thinking, I should know this. <laughs> I should have paid attention in school. 44 BC, Brutus and Cassius assassinated Julius Caesar as we probably all know, right? So they ended up, like being not stupid, ran because they were going to get killed. So they head east and they fled to eastern Greece in uh, the triumvirate was called, I believe, uh, Antony, Lepidus, and Octavius ruled the three after he was assassinated. Those names sound familiar at all. Brutus, Octavius, I've heard of them, but I didn't know anything about them. So Octavius is an interesting character. So they ended up Two years later, 44 BC, Lepidus stayed in Rome and held up there. And then the other two, Mark Anthony and Octavius, went to find the two that killed Caesar, Brutus and Cassius, in a historical battle at Philippi. So Philippi was there. That's where these armies met. There were 110,000 Romans on one side, 90,000 Romans on the other. There was this huge battle. It took uh, almost a month. The first week of October, I believe it was, was the first battle in which Octavius and Brutus met. 
And then uh, Mark Anthony and Cassius fought, and the two defectors committed suicide. They died. And uh, there were uh, many soldiers still alive. So there was, there was 40,000 casualties, all Roman, um, but uh, many of the defeated soldiers went back to Rome, and some of the rest stayed there. So they were there, and this ended up making it Philippi, like a military city. It was on the road, it was a clear path, and there were many military people. It was like a military base. So the, the history of when Paul goes there, it's you know not that far afterwards. There's still this military presence and slaves. Basically, that's it. So it was very um, legal and military. And then another notable date, 31 BC, Octavius, the one defeated Mark Anthony. Those are the two that won. Now they fought each other uh, in a sea battle, and Anthony had the Queen of Greece, Cleopatra, and they ended up losing. And Octavius, this character, just about done with history. <laughs> he was born in 63 BC, 20 miles from Rome. He ended up in 44 BC. His, his dad died when he was four. He ended up um, being adopted in 44 BC and renamed Octavian. And in 31 BC, as I just mentioned, he defeated Mark Anthony. And in 26 BC, um, the Roman Senate entitled him Augustus, which means the exalted one. So he ends up then, the Republic ends up becoming an empire, and he was the sole ruler. And the first I remember of him was Luke 2, when he set a decree out to the entire Roman Empire that a tax should be held. That's the Caesar, Caesar Augustus. So now this town, not you know, during that time frame, it's gone, he's gone, but in Acts 16, we're going to come to the place where I first remember Philippi being mentioned. It says, uh, then, then he, speaking of Paul, came to Derba and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jew, Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after that he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now not to give a thorough discount of the book of Acts 16, but I think what's pertinent to us is this is Paul's second missionary trip. It's the first time that he heads up in this region. And we see in verse 1 it says, Then he came to the Derby, which is Paul, 
And then we see in verse 6, it says, Now they had gone through Phrygia, that would be Paul and Timothy. And in verse 10, we see, Now after he had seen the vision, we sought to go. And Luke is the writer of Acts. So this is the first time in Acts that we see that Luke had joined them on this missionary trip. So now you have them heading. And Paul comes to a point, and it says, talking about the spirit, um, forbidding them to go to Asia because he had a plan for them. And that's the wonderful thing about grace is if you're willing and you're moving, God can steer you. And Paul's like, I want to go up and I want to go to Asia, which is right or east. And the Spirit says, no, I want you to go left. And Paul, it, 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 I don't understand if it was twice because it said the Spirit said, don't preach in Asia, and then afterwards it said the Spirit forbid them. So I don't know if he heard them say no and he tried, but that's the wonderful thing about God is if you want to do the right thing and you're not sure, all you got to do is ask him, and he's willing and able to change your mind and convince you and put you where he wants you. And especially after this morning, uh, the thing that strikes me the most about this whole thing is Paul saw a vision from God. God directed him. He heard him. He knew what he wanted him to do. And the vision says, go to Macedonia. There's a man there. And what did the man say? Help us. So how do you think you help somebody? Well, Paul said immediately he knew that he was called to preach the gospel to them. Oh, they need help. They must need the gospel. The gospel is the answer. You need help, it's because you need Jesus. I remember I had a friend, a co-worker, a while ago, and every time he came over... I didn't, I guess I don't realize what we were talking about, but we just talked about the Lord, talked about Jesus, talked about Jesus, and then he ends up getting saved. And then he came to me years later and said, I was talking to somebody, and they asked me something, and they said, all you keep saying is Jesus. I need help. And he goes, I laughed, because I remember thinking the same thing when I was talking to you. He says, every time I bring up something, you just keep bringing up Jesus. It's like, well, if you're not saved, you need Jesus. If you are saved, you need more Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. In verse 11, it says, Therefore, therefore, God said, Go preach. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. What we're going to find out that that is a military Roman colony. It's not a part of Rome, but it's considered a Roman colony because there was a military presence there left from Augustus, and it still remained there, and it's pertinent because they treat Paul unlike they're supposed to a Roman. <clears throat> so they came the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, and it's a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days, so they spent some time there. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So a couple things here is that Paul knew they needed help, and he knew the help was to preach the gospel. 
and the first woman that he mentions was Lydia. She was a Jew. Paul always wanted to try to find his way uh, to the synagogue and preach any city he went into. And then after that, after they stopped receiving him, then he went to the Gentiles, and that was usually his demise with the Jews. But here we see that there was no synagogue. Of course, this is a Roman colony. Uh, the Jews were probably slaves, but there were not, must not have been 10 men required, and they didn't have it, so normally they would meet out by the river. So the first interaction that we see of Paul here is preach, because God told him what to do, and he was faithful to it. And we also see, so it was the first, not just did Lydia get saved, uh, this is actually in Europe. So this is the first convert, at least on the continent of Europe, that got there, and we're about to see that a church gets started. So this is actually the first church formed in Europe, which is where the gospel came to us from. So thank you, Paul. Verse 16, now what happened as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servant of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, so Paul is walking around preaching the gospel because that's what he was told to do. There's somebody following him around that we read is possessed. And not saying something untrue, but sometimes the enemy comes along to join and to hinder, right? And all you have to do is have a Bible study and open it up to people talking, and then you'll regret it. <laughs> One of the things... Um, in jail we would have is every once in a while you'll get somebody that comes up and it's like they're out in the yard or in their room and they can't get an audience so as soon as they find an audience they want to take advantage of it they'll cling to you and then oh I finally got somebody to show up to a study I'm going to take advantage of it while I can we've been out in the streets walking and there's this one guy I think I've talked to him before he just wanted to be referred to as the big cheese I don't know what his name was but he was quite a character and he would follow us around and he would often, they need salvation. They, like, it sounds like he's trying to help, but every once in a while you'd be talking to somebody, and oh, you can't save them, just go on to the next one. It's just like, would you leave me alone? They, some, they just come along and they hinder. Um, so, and whatever she was doing, it greatly annoyed Paul, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out, of, he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Whatever happened to sticks and stones won't break my bones. All they were doing is talking. <laughs> they get beaten. Their backs get opened up. And when they had laid many stripes on them and threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge, he put them 
into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And I know many pastors have done the homework and it says the Roman jails had three levels. This is the lowest part of the dungeon. So they were strapped on their face down, arms and legs shackled with their backs exposed, beaten because they talked about Jesus. I've, I've been accused of that at work before too. People come up to me after, somebody asks a question and I answer it and then someone else will come, you can't talk about that here. And it's like, they're like, you can't say that. It's like, it didn't hurt. It's just words. Do you have any ideas what I listen to all day? You, of all the things that they say and of all the things that they do, you mentioned Jesus and it's just like, it's like you stuck him with a sword. His name is powerful. And uh, people find it offensive. And they were beaten, but the, there's opposition, right? We know that. There's a spiritual battle going on. And Paul came here, and I guess the vision he saw, they did need help. There were demonic powers, and they were hindering the work. Um, the citizens were opposing it, and the government was opposing it. And Paul, so here's this picture, right? Go preach. And Paul was in God's perfect will. He was sent by God. He was empowered by God. In fact, he passed a demon out. He, saw, he was preaching the gospel and people got saved. And there's this door. The, um, there's this door that led to a dungeon that he was dragged through and chained inside of. And this was God's door Right? There's Bible verses, right? Revelation 3, I believe 7 and 8. It says, God opens a door that no man can shut. So God has a plan for you and a calling for you, and God shows a miraculous vision. They need help. I want to send you. He does exactly what God's want, and his door ended up leading to a prison. So now the next question is, is where does my mind go? Where does my heart go? What, what is our reasonable act of worship? Romans 12, right? Is, is this unexpected, right? There's another, there's another verse, I believe it's in Corinthians, that says that um, Paul said, pray for me, for there is an open door, however, there are many adversaries. So sometimes people judge God's will. Well, there's an open door, it must be God. Well, Jonah had a boat waiting to go the wrong way right there. <laughs> oh, it must be God's will, because it's going the way I want to go. No, so you, to discern God's will, you can't do it by circumstance because sometimes the circumstance to do the wrong thing is there. Sometimes you go through a door and there's hindrance. You, oh, it must not have been God. The enemy's here. Well, that's why it's important to pray, read your Bible, and to fellowship and commune with God and to know that you know what he's saying, to walk by faith. Faith in what? Not just faith in that God's going to get me out of any trouble I might get myself into, but faith that I'm in God's will. He knew that this was God's will for his life. So he's going in a way and in a path, he's walking by faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul is walking by faith. I know what you told me to do, and I'm going to go, and my life is no longer my own. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I came here and people got saved. Hallelujah. And now all of a sudden, he's arrested, and he must know that he is in God's perfect will. One of the things he had an advantage of is that when he got saved, Jesus told him all those things that he must suffer for his namesake. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. He wasn't going saying, if it's God's will, it's going to be easy. He knows it's going to be hard. 
So he's on his way in a dungeon, and that's the only way you can explain how we get to verse 35. I'm sorry, 25. 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul is like, I'm, I must, I'm in God's will. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I didn't do anything wrong. We're going to find out. They wanted to release him because he didn't do anything wrong. He, he wasn't in jail because he violated something, and God will forgive me. I am doing, I'm not breaking the law, and I'm in God's perfect will for my life. And if this happens, it must be part of God's plan. I am going to walk by faith. Praise God, I was counted worthy to be punished for his namesake. And what is God going to do next? Now I know it's not going to be me. I'm beaten. I can hardly, I can't stand up. I'm in pain, and I'm chained to the floor. This is going to be great. <laughs> Let's sing. So they're, they're praising God, and the prisoners are listening. You have an audience. Even when you're going through a difficulty, you have an audience. People watch how you go through things. And even when we mess up, I find that sometimes the greatest witness is just telling somebody you're sorry. I was wrong. I'm not perfect, because sometimes people think Christians have this attitude that you're better than us, and you know I'm just forgiven. <laughs> I know I'm not better than anybody. I might not always act like I believe that, but I know it's true. Just sometimes tell somebody, I'm sorry, and then it's like the walls come down. Be out witnessing people on the streets, and they ask hard questions. Just tell them, I don't know, I'll, I'll have to look into that. Oh, you don't think you know everything? Well, what do you think about this then? Because sometimes it just breaks wall down. People watch you, and uh, the prisoners were listening to him. 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. So they're listening to Paul. They know he's in there. They hear the guards and everything going on. Then an earthquake happens, and it just so happened all their shackles fall off. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had left, why do you suppose that he thought the prisoners had left? It doesn't say here, we can only speculate, but he obviously didn't go look or he would have seen them. We don't know if they left and Paul gathered them and they didn't take off. How did he even know that their chains were off if he didn't go see? But, but he's there and he understands that I'm a Roman guard in a, in a Roman prison and if the prisoners escape on my watch, I'm going to have to be dealt their consequence. So whatever they were getting, death is better. I don't know. It's like Brutus, Cassius, Roman soldiers. What's up with this? <laughs> Cops and soldiers, man, committing suicide. And unfortunately, it's not a laughing matter. They see a lot of stuff. And uh, he was about to kill himself, 28 but Paul called with a loud voice. So evidently Paul knew what was going on in his heart. Whether it was a word of knowledge, God told him, we don't know. Saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Something got his attention. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So God said, go help them. Jeez, how do I do this? And the Paul, Paul, right? My history is horrible. It would have been nice to have the mind of the Apostle Paul, right? <laughs> the background that he had, all of a sudden, he just needed clarity to understand the gospel and Jesus to have it all make sense. But you don't need to be a genius. 
how do you witness? Okay, he shows up, he's in God's will. He didn't do anything miraculous. He's thrown in jail and he's beaten up. And the guy comes to him, only in jail. It happened to me twice. Somebody came up to me and said, how do I get saved? That's because they heard other people talking out in the streets. That's never happened to me before. But in jail, a guy comes up to him and says, hey, how do I get saved? <laughs> Jail's an awesome ministry, by the way. So the theologian, Paul, who knows way more than us, who knows the, everything in detail, he just says, believe on God. That's all it takes. The gospel's not confusing. You don't have to be a scholar. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. God did all the work. He set up the pens. He knocked them down. He got the strike. He did everything. All you had to, all you had to do was show up, have a right heart in it, and be ready to be used. God says they need help. Okay, I'll preach the gospel. So far, he's preached the gospel to everybody he's seen. 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he, fell, he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So he knew what to do. God made it effectual. And don't be surprised if an open door leads you to a place, God's open door leads you to some place that's uncomfortable, right? We know that the door God led Jesus to was the cross. That was why he came. So verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. And this is before they found out he was a Roman citizen. So evidently he had either done enough time or he didn't do anything wrong. So the keeper of the prison reported those words to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do, you, now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates who were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison, and they didn't go right out of the city. They asked them to go out of the city. They don't have a right to do that. Paul was in a city that he mentioned the gospel, and they beat him. And a demon attacked him. And the citizens wanted money and didn't want to hear anything about it. And the government threw him in jail wrongfully. And Paul had just started a church. And there's people there. He probably wanted to leave. I have a mission. I have a calling. I wanted to go to Asia. I want to get back to Jerusalem. But these young people need something. And I'm not going to leave them there. He, make, he sets a standard. He, he, he makes a statement. He's like, first of all, it's, it's wrong for you to do that. So therefore, when I leave, make sure you don't treat them wrong. He's setting a precedence. And then he goes to visit them because he doesn't want them to be shaken. He cares about their heart. We're going to find Paul loves these people. 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had sent, seen the brethren, they encouraged them. And then they departed. So we know that the Jews that were there, some of them might have been converted. We know some of the guards got converted. There's a small, young church that was formed and uh, 
They had a deep relationship. It was a difficult place. We're going to find out later that there was a lot of persecution. It, it must have been eased a little bit at first, but it came back. So about 10 to 11 years after this happened, we can head to Philippians. We're going to see that... Uh, This book was written, Paul is, of all places, in jail, again, <laughs> in Rome, and he writes a few epistles from there, and the Philippians had sent multiple times, we believe four, at least four times, a love offering, so they were poor, we find out, they don't have a lot of money, but they have a heart for the Apostle Paul, and they send gifts to him because they want to do what they can for him because of what he did for them. This is one of the three books that I know of, um, I believe only three in the New Testament uh, churches. Well, one was to a man, Philemon, uh, and also Thessalonica and Philippians, that he doesn't have to set a standard to correct, to set up his apostleship. He doesn't mention that he's you know, the apostle or an apostle he, this is just a love letter to a friend. I love you guys. I want to encourage you. And it got brought back with uh, Epaphrodites. So Epaphrodites brought one of these love offerings to Paul in jail in Rome. Uh, almost died on the way there. Got really sick. So he was concerned. Paul was for the people. Epaphrodites wanted to stay with Paul. But he's like, because he was maybe going to get sentenced to death um, for his crime in Rome. And it was about a month journey each way. And this was, again, I believe the fourth time. So Epaphrodites brings this love offering to Paul, spends some time with him, then Paul sends him back because he was worried that they'd be wor more worried about Epaphrodites than he was Paul, and he wanted to, he sent this letter with him. So when he returns, this is a letter that Paul had written from jail to Philippians who were under persecution. And Paul knew something about, not just about persecution, but persecution in Philippi. In, in verse 1, and, well, just to back up also, um, something I've heard multiple pastors say um, when they, pr preliminary to Philippians, is that uh, the word remembering and thinking is mentioned in every single one of the four chapters. Uh, joy is mentioned, or a form of joy, over 19 times. Um, but remembering and thinking, things of what to remember and things not to remember. And multiple people I've heard said that you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. What, right? Take every thought captive. What are you thinking about? What do you think about what's happening to me? Your attitude, right? And this is God can change your heart, but he won't change your mind. So there's a belief that's up on us, right? What do you believe? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe God is always good? Um, it's like John Corson taught, you know, or David Rosales, I think. It was like a circle. Love. First, he teaches you to love your parents, and he teaches you to love your children, to love your wife, you know, eventually your dog. Eventually, he wants you to love your enemies. There's this growth process in it. And uh, 
he wants us to, so two, two things, right? Think and remember and joy. And this is all in the midst of persecution. So it's a book of joy to encourage friends. And it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affections of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. That you, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit, uh, fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Um, there's, I'm not going to get that far, so I'll stop there. But you can see that Paul, again, seeing, he says, I'm a prisoner, but I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of man. I'm a prisoner of Christ. God allows things to happen to me, and it's for a purpose. And the fact that it's happened has actually encouraged other people. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to worry about going to jail. God is in control. And it starts out, going back to verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, so Timothy is with him. And obviously, Epaphrodites was. He left and brought the letter back. But bondservants of Jesus Christ, and just as... Uh, Aaron had sung during worship, right? The word bond servants or bond slaves or uh, chain our heart to you. Uh, it's, the word doulos, I'm sure we're well taught here. We know that it means a bond slave, right? It's a slave by choice. Uh, a servant was hired. If you're hired, you can quit, right? If you're a slave, you're a slave and you're trapped. We're going to read it as we talk about this. But a uh, uh, a servant, a bond servant is somebody that by choice goes, and we know the story, they, they get marked, they get sealed. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit um, coming on you. Doulos, the word's used 127 times in the New Testament. Once you were there um, by choice to be there and by choice to become a doulos, but once you did that, uh, you were then property for life. You were no longer, your life was no longer your own. And that's a lot of the scriptures that we see are making reference to that. Uh, if you'd flip with me, to Romans 8, please. A little flipping now. Not flipping, just flipping.
Romans 8, starting in verse 31. It says, what, what then shall we... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes inner session for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the late day long. We are counted as sheep for this slaughter. And if you flip, I'm sorry, I'm in Romans. I meant to go to John. John 8. I was going to say that it fits, but it's not exactly where I wanted to go. John 8, 31. But to finish the verse, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So. <laughs> John 8, 31. And, they, and again, Paul was more than a conqueror because he wasn't there being defeated. He was there in God's will. Um, always, God always wins. If you're on his side, you're always a winner. John 8, 31. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and, <clears throat> excuse me, have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And that word slave is doulos. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. All right, verse 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. We don't like that. I don't like that. I'm a doulos of sin? You mean I choose willingly to go there and bind myself to it? <laughs> yes, Mark. <laughs> we walk into sin. We sin because we like it. We give ourselves over to it, and then it controls us. You can't not sin in the flesh. If you go to verse 42 of the same chapter, Jesus said to them, if, if God were your father, you would, have, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. If you're born of God, you love God. God comes in and does something. They choose, they were slaves of sin. They did the acts of their father, the father of sin. <clears throat> and we see it in eight times in a few verses in Romans 6. 
Romans 6, starting in verse 15. He says, What then? Shall we, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Paul is sitting here teaching um, grace and the definition of it to the church at Rome. 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves, doulos, to obey, you are that one's doulos whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that you, that though you were slaves or doulos of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became doulos of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as doulos of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as doulos of righteousness for holiness. For when you were doulos of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, you have become doulos of God. You have your fruit to holiness, and the end is everlasting life. And... Uh, time constraints, but 1 Corinthians 7, it mentions it four times, as well as in 1 Peter 2, um, but back in Philippians. So it says, Paul and Timothy, doulos of Jesus Christ. Then it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the word saints, right? We know that that also has a bad rep. I know this is preaching to the choir, but the religious, it's, it's really, if you become, if you are in Christ, you have been set apart, right? So we know that we've been set apart from the world and we've been set apart to him, to someone. We've been set apart from something to someone. A saint just means that you've been anointed. You're either a saint or you ain't. Sometimes there's religious, religious groups that we know of that say a saint, it's actually quite a long thing. I had to look this all up to how you get in. It's pretty hard. It's hard to make that in the Hall of Fame, I think. <laughs> or president. Um, you have to have a ma one man's vote, and, and uh, he's not sane. But it's somebody, one of the things that they claim you need to have is to be verified in heaven. Um, I don't think a, a, a Philippian jail is heaven. He's writing to saints that are on the earth. I don't know why Paul would have to be writing to saints if they're in heaven and they're looking at Jesus. You don't have to tell them about heavenly things. They're there. So obviously saints must be people that are on the earth if Paul's writing to them. He's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. So two addresses, right? We have two addresses, hopefully. You're in Rochester and you're in Christ, right? One of them is good news and one of them's not. <laughs> one, one of them is worth living for, the other one's not. Uh, we, we reside here, right? That's why Paul said, you know, I'm just a sojourner. I'm just passing through. I'm just here temporarily. I'm just in a tent because my home Right, time forbids also Hebrews, right? They were looking for a city whose maker is God. That, that's what I'm living for. 
and it almost sounds like poetic and scripture and it's good to read, but it was life. It's life for Christians. It actually matters. There is another life. It's going to happen. We're going to die, and then we're going to go somewhere. Death meaning separation, right? We know that, that the word death. It says it is appointed for man once to die and then judgment, but Jesus says if you believe in me, you will never die. Well, the word death just means to be separated, right? When we think of death, we think of our soul being separated from our body. But Jesus says, you know what? You'll never be separated from me. There are those that will be separated from him. That's the second death, right? We read about that in Revelation. A saint is somebody that's in Christ, and that's worth living your life for. And then we see that he says, which I'm not exactly sure. I didn't get great uh, enlightenment from the Holy Spirit on this. But he's writing to the saints, and it doesn't say and. And he says, with the bishops and deacons. So I don't know if they weren't in Christ, if they were bad pastors. <laughs> I, I would assume they were. Um, but he mentions them by name. And it's the first church, I believe, the first time in Scripture, he, he, like Richard's going through Timothy, there's instructions on how to pick them, but I don't know if there's been a church that they've actually addressed them there. I think this is the first time. So they actually, it was 10 years now, so it's been established for a little while. There's new believers, and there are evidently bishops and deacons. So what is a bishop and what's a deacon? Sometimes, again, we can be misunderstood when we say bishops. Some people think that that is somebody that oversees a larger area, multiple churches. But this was, he's writing to the people in one church. So it's, the word bishop is or synonymous with a pastor, elder, or shepherd. So there, he was writing to the people that were there. And a, a deacon is just one who serves and ministers. Right, so we know that one oversees, and one ex, uh, the definition um, to a deacon is one who ex, executes the demands of another, right? A servant, which we're all supposed to. Jesus, even the centurion that came to him and said, "I too am a man under authority." Okay, well, you were over over a hundred people, right? That's what the centurion means, right? But if you're not willing or able to be under authority, God won't allow you to be in authority. We always are under an authority and a deacon. So does that mean that the bishop is over, since he's overseer? So we get, we get the world in our heads? Well, it's there. We're stuck. We live in it, right? My in Rochester dwelling place in, in America, you know, I got to move up the corporate ladder. Well, this is kind of, Jesus said, if you want to be, greatest and to be the servant of all. It's, the world is upside down. So in God's kingdom, like the word for a pastor is actually under rower. It's the guy that goes down to move the people up. The ladder's the opposite way. We already start up. We're already full of ourselves and love ourselves, and we need to work our way down. And sometimes God allows the rungs to get broke, so you get down there faster. <laughs> but, but sometimes it takes a while. He has to keep knocking this down. So I guess a better picture of that, if you can turn left to Ephesians 4. So there's a young church. It's not that young anymore, considering all the churches were started right then. Uh, they already have pastors and elders. And let's see the first 16 verses. It'll go quick. 
Uh, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is another letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the same jail cell. It's actually not a jail cell. When he was in Rome, he was actually in house arrest. Uh, they had favor for him there, but he was chained. He was chained to different guards who had the fortune of being uh, assaulted with the gospel daily. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He doesn't say create unity. The Holy Spirit gets along fine with himself. The Holy Spirit in me loves the Holy Spirit in you. He has no problem. The unity's there. We just have to stay out of the way. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, the grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So to each one of us, Paul says, to the people in Christ and then to the bishops and to the deacons. But to each one of us is given a measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself, he himself, God, chose some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer, so we were, we no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So Paul's writing to the people in Christ and to the bishops and to the deacons, to those overseeing and to those serving and to the whole body. And the body is unique. No part is greater than the other except one. There is one part of the body greater than the rest, and that's the head. That's Jesus. Everything else is equal. <clears throat> In verse 16, it says, <clears throat> just to say it again, the whole body is joined and knit together. Every joint supplies, every part is needed. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, the body can't live without everything doing everything. Every part needs the other part. We're all called to do something. Some are more visible, some are more notable, some are unseen. You might not see your kidney, but when it hurts, every, your whole body knows, right? There's something that's there. So it's, everything is as important as the rest except the head. Without the head, it dies. And fortunately, our head's not going to die. <laughs> so he specifically mentions those two, but it's not because of um, greaterness. 
he just included them, but it's nice for us to know that they did already have ordained bishops and deacons, even at this early church in Philippi. <clears throat> and then as we know, the Pauline letters, grace and peace in that order, you can't have peace without grace, and the peace comes from God. Once you have peace with God, you will have the peace from God. And in verse... three to five, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So here's one of the first times he's talking about remembering. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. So Paul loves them. He is thinking of them. They are on his heart. And sometimes people can get on our nerves, but they were not. They were on Paul's heart. He thought about them, he loved them, and when he prayed for them, it brought joy to his heart because he remembered good things and he wanted them to be blessed. And we want to be that for other people too. It says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers with me of grace so or, or they partake of grace also they have this fellowship so Paul went there got beat went somewhere else now he's writing a letter to them from jail and he's like, guess what? The good news is you can partake of my grace. His grace allowed him to get through these things, right? There's another verse that we're going to get to, um, and you hear it a lot of times in sporting events. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And unfortunately, a lot of times we think that means I can ascend way up here. But he just said, I can be beaten, I can be shipwrecked, I can do all those things through Christ's strength. God will get you through everything is the point. If he's allowed it in your life, he'll get you through it. It doesn't matter. And the whole point isn't about getting through it. The whole point about is walking with Jesus. Paul wasn't concerned to not go to jail or to go to jail. He was just concerned about being in God's will. And whatever you want to do with me, do with me. I gave you my life. It wasn't just a song. I meant it. Here I am. What's going to happen? It doesn't matter. As I walk through life, I've already died. Paul was there. We read it. It's going to be at the end of the chapter. If I stay, it's good for you. If I die good for me. Whatever happens to me, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I've already made that decision in my life. And because of that, he can now have joy. We think that sounds like misery. We think that's like, oh, he gave up on everything. No, he's, he gave up everything to gain something. He's gained Christ. He actually has life now. And he can actually be cheerful and happy and sing songs in places when most people would just be miserable. And he talks about this fellowship, right? And we mentioned that um, earlier and I'll have to touch on this uh, if I teach again through, continue on in Philippians, but the word fellowship is koinonia, right? And koinonia isn't just hanging out with somebody. Um, it actually means to have an investment, a co-investment, and it's a banking term, right? They invested in Paul. They were poor, yet they decided, we're going to give to you because we want what you're doing to succeed and Paul is like, yes, you partnered with me. We have the same grace. Everything that is coming together, is, we're both going to receive the reward for that. 
And uh, with that in mind, if we can just uh, time flip to Philippians three. Verse eight, and because uh, of time constraint, I'm gonna we'll read this, and then we'll uh, have Aaron come up, and we'll have a song, and then while we're singing, um, you can come up and help yourselves to uh, the elements, and then uh, hold them, and then we'll come back. But chapter three, verse eight, it says, "Yet, yet indeed, I count all things." loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, not just to suffer, but being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. We partake, we are the cross, right? He died that he might live. There's the cross and then there's the resurrection. And you don't get resurrected unless you've been dead, right? We, we make room. So it's as if Paul is saying, and it's not as if it's a good thought. It was a practice of life. I want, I, I am, we are the body of Christ, right? He goes, I, want, I don't want that just to be a nice saying. I want this body that's here that I claim that Jesus has come into, that if he was in my body, he would be living out of his life in my body. That's what Christianity, that's what we're claiming. I'm dying and he becomes alive in me. What would he do with these hands? What would he say with his mouth? What would he think with that mind? I want Christ to live through me. Now it's not about keeping a bunch of rules and then doing what I want and hopefully I'm forgiven. No, it's about a life replacement. Jesus' life in mine. Let's read that again. I indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I willingly gave up everything that was mine and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How do you get to the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death? If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So if you want to come up and we can sing and just keep that in your mind as we're singing and worship and just say, you know what, God, I, I take this and it's a picture of me dying and of your life resurrected.